It's that thing that happens when you get in the elevator and everybody kind of goes to their corner. You ever, anybody? Yeah, every day in my apartment complex, you get in the elevator and somebody's standing in the middle and they immediately go to their corner, right? Um, we're, afraid of, we're afraid of being close to each other for some reason. That's, that's just part of our nature. But can we gather a little closer together? I know you guys are comfortable. You found your spot. You got your seat warm um, and all that stuff. But let's just gather in like a family today. Thank you for braving the elements and coming all the way out here. The harsh winters of San Diego. I know it's crazy. I know it's pouring rain. And there's dangerous drivers out there. And you guys came, so thank you guys. Uh, It's good to see you. Good to see you guys. I'm stoked. Um, We're doing this series called Fresh Fire. And uh, I really hope that God will ignite something in our hearts today. And really speak to us as a church. Um, so we're, we're going to be kind of taking our cue from Acts chapter 2 today, but um, kind of the first, first piece that we're doing, just, just so you know, is walking through our mission statement as a church. That New City is a spirit-led family of gospel communities who make disciples of Jesus for God's glory. That is, that is who we are. That's our mission statement. That is our hope as a church. And last week, Kenny did an awesome job, super simple, to the point, and profound at the same time, just talking about what it means to be spirit-led, asking the Holy Spirit what's next. And that, that, was, that was a great time together. And today, I have the, the privilege of talking about a family of gospel communities. You guys ready? All right, cool. It's good to see some new faces. Good to see. There's a lot of red seats in here today, a lot more than usual. So I know the winner the winter is getting to a lot of people. You know, the cold weather, the sickness. So be praying for your church family. Um, and those of you that are listening in on this podcast, we just, we just want to send a prayer out to you guys because um, we, we, we miss you guys here. Um, so there's, there's a lot of interesting communities in the world. Um, I stumbled on this one the other day. The Association for Renaissance Martial Arts. It's a community. Maybe some of you guys are part of that community. I don't know. Um, I haven't had the privilege of joining yet, but I I plan to eventually. It's on my bucket list. Um, There's a lot of communities, social interest groups, political communities. Um, You have a community, a sense of community, hopefully, with where you work with your coworkers, with your classmates. We're, we're born into family, so we have this natural sense of community with people because we have common origins, common blood, common, common last, shared name, shared values. And so we have this sense of community, but this community called the church is really a one-of-a-kind community, isn't it? it is, I think it's because we have this one-of-a-kind dad who's kind of brought us together as family. To, to, he, I mean, think about the fact that God adopted you into his own family so that you could experience his love every day in very tangible ways with his family. And he, he not only that, he, he brought you into his family so you could display that love to a world that's like out there in the cold and the rain and the mud, and you're like, hey, come into my dad's house. It's warm in here. It's awesome in here. You know, come on in. You're invited into the family of God because this is a love-starved world, and there's a lot of people that are hungry and searching for something real, something authentic, 
And that's exactly what the family of God is. But what happens when we miss out on it? Have you guys ever had that happen where you kind of, like God's family becomes something else to you? It goes from being this really tight-knit family that's centered on dad where we can't wait to get next to each other and just high-five each other. It's good to see you. And it becomes this just series of events. Like a string of relationships that you have to be in You have to walk in because you promised you'd be part of a DNA group and you have to show up. And oh, has it ever become that way to you before? Yeah. Just another club, maybe one of the clubs that you have in your card, you know, Costco member, part of the lacrosse club. Also, yeah, I go to New City Church. It's one of my one of my clubs. And and if we're not careful, like when it becomes that way, what happens to our hearts? We have have you guys ever started pretending? Just start wearing the mask around people. And and sometimes you may even start avoiding people, avoiding groups of people, because you're like, I just, I don't feel like wearing the mask today. I don't feel like being with family. It's going to be draining. They're going to, anybody? Yeah, yeah. So we may long for deep community, but oftentimes we experience something else. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the family of God starts looking kind of like the Adams family, and all the neighbors are kind of ticked off, right? Or it's like the, the, the bride of Christ that's been resurrected and brought back to life and been redeemed starts looking kind of like the Frankenstein monster to some people, right? And we, we're like, oh, I wish there was more. I want more. And we, we're looking for deep, true, authentic community. I remember my cousin Jeff Garner, who preached a few weeks back, he said, they were having this great revival up there in Stockton, California, where he was a youth pastor before he started pastoring in San Fran. And they had—there's uh, there's gang members up in Stockton. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of that. It's pretty high crime rate. Um, and they had this revival, and, it, like, he was going out into the streets just talking to people, found this guy who was, who was totally living the thug life, and, like, talked to him about Jesus, brought him in, and this guy got totally, like, gave his heart to Jesus— radical change in his life. For a few weeks, he's coming to church and all that stuff, and then he just disappears. A few months go by, and Jeff runs into him out on the streets, and he's, li- he's back into life. Jeff said, hey, man, what happened? We miss you. And he said, you know what? Be honest, man. I thought there was going to be more of a sense of family in the church, but I only seem to get that with my crew. Interesting. Interesting. So the family of God can oftentimes, instead of like being the dream that we hope it can be, can often like turn into a nightmare, right? And we may hunger for the power of God at work in our lives and relationships, but instead God's family like becomes something that we minimize, we compartmentalize and even avoid it. And God wants more for you today. God wants more for us today as a church. He wants to redeem our divergent views of family. And the only way that this happens, the impossible can happen as we believe the gospel and and God gives new life to his church through the power of his spirit. So let's listen in and see what God says to us through Acts chapter 2. Very familiar scripture. Like this is the birth of the church. That's what theologians call this. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. 
and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. That, that is remarkable, right? What God is doing here in this chapter is crazy. Never been done like this before. And there's three things I want to point out real quick at the beginning that, that God changes. So the first thing is, you guys remember Adam and Eve way back in the garden? We're familiar, right? Adam and Eve, they're in love with each other. They're in love with God. They're united together, united with each other, united with all of creation, perfect harmony. And what happens? They decide they're not going to trust God anymore. They decide that they're going to do things their way, that they're going to be as God's. And they both eat the fruit and immediately realize, uh-oh, something's wrong. Something, something, something was whack. Something bad just happened. And what do they do? They hide. Guilt. Shame. They isolate from one another. They hide from God. And, and eventually they're cast out from paradise in God's presence to make it on their own. It's a truth that sin isolates. Sin separates. Sin divides and comes between. Have you experienced that in your life? Yeah. But God, thank God, is not content with this story being left that way. It, here's the deal. God loves his kids. God has a plan in this story. He wants to redeem his family. He wants to get rid of this sin issue and, and restore what was lost and bring us together with him and one another again. And so, in fact, if you look at Scripture, that's what the story is all about. It's God reclaiming this. God starts walking in covenant relationship with Abraham. Well, Abram at the time, right? And he starts walking in covenant relationship with him. And then 400 years of slavery, God rescues and renews, redeems Israel out of slavery, and he gives him his law. And what do we see God do? Sets up a tabernacle in the middle of the camp, right? So God has gone from being distant and kicking them out of Eden to coming and dwelling in the midst of them. And you see that happen for several hundreds of years until somebody shows up, pretty famous guy named Jesus, right? The living tabernacle. And he comes, and where there was always separation because of sin, he comes, and for the first time ever, he, he lays hands and heals the sinner and makes contact with broken people, Right? He's a, he, it's amazing what happens. And eventually, he dies on the cross and makes a way for what we see in this chapter. That now, for the first time ever, this eschatological spirit is poured out. And God himself comes and dwells in his people. We become the tabernacles. It's amazing, right? And, and, and you see, God is united with his family and he's united them with one another. In fact, chapter 2 is just soaked with that. It starts out in verse 1. They're all in the upper room in one accord. They're all together. They've got unity. And as the Spirit of God pours out and it spills out on the streets, what do we see toward the end of the chapter, which we'll get to? They have all things in common. They go together to the temple and together to one another's house breaking bread. There's this amazing unification happening in the church instead of the separation that we see from sin, right? Sin isolates, but the Spirit of God unifies. 
The second thing I see in this is, is the Tower of Babel. You guys remember that story? All right, God destroys the world with a flood. You know, Darren Ofsky did a great job. It's very biblically accurate if you watch that movie. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> right? And, and, and all of a sudden, like, like a couple generations later, God tells Noah's descendants, I, I, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply and replenish the earth. Go out into the whole earth. But they say, no. We're going to stay here. We're going to build a, 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 oh, what's it called? Building a tower, a tower of Babel. We're going to build it up, up to the sky so that God can never destroy us again. So they have this false sense of community, but it's really built against God. It's false. God's not at the center of it. They are. And they're united against God. They're trusting in themselves. They're, they're trusting that they're, they have faith, but it's toward their own works to save them instead of toward God. And what did God do? God comes down and says, you guys are doing just what your great-great-grandparents did. You're not trusting me. You're doing it your own way. And he confounds the languages, and they're sent out across the world. Right? Sin brings confusion. But here in Acts 2, we see God does something different. God unites his people, and they go out on this great commission. It's like he reverses the curse of Babel and recommissions them. Everyone from around the nations, as we read this chapter, we're going to see everyone from around the nations hears the gospel and the works of God in their own language. It's amazing, right? As the Spirit empowers these 120 believers to declare gospel in, in the languages they've never learned. So sin confuses, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, clarifies. Right? And then the last thing we see at Sinai is the first Pentecost. After the Exodus, Moses goes up on the mountain, and, and, and God does something miraculous. He brings his covenant together, his covenant people. He calls them his nation of priests, his, his own family. God's family. And it's the original day of Pentecost, which means 50 days. 50 days after Passover. You guys remember Passover? When God mightily leads them out of Egypt, they slay the lamb, they ply the blood to the doorpost, and God brings them out of slavery and is putting them on a path to the promised land. Right? And they end up here at the foot of this mountain, and God gives them his law. And what do we see happens at the first covenant, the first Pentecost? There's wind, there's fire, there's smoke, there's thunder and voices. In fact, cool for, for Bible scholars and nerds like me, um, cool fact is the Hebrew word thunder there in Exodus, kalot, actually means voices or languages. And Moses comes down with the Torah, and what does he see? Does he see people just unified around God, ready to serve God? They've been saved, and now they're perfect, and they just love God with all their heart. Is that what's going on? No. What are they doing? worshiping an idol. It's like, it's 50 days since they saw God save them, and they've already built a golden calf and started false worship, and 3,000 people die that day, the first Pentecost. And what do we see happen here, though, right? First, first fact, sin brings death, and we know that to be true. The wages of sin is death. But here in Acts 2, as God gives this new covenant, we see the fulfillment of what the prophet Jeremiah said, that he would write his law not on tablets of stone, but on our hearts. And God calls his new covenant family together, who Peter later, later calls a nation of priests as well. And God appears in fire and wind and tongues. And 3,000 people are given new life and added to the church as part of God's family. 
So sin brings death, but the Spirit brings new life. Do you see what God's doing here? This day of Pentecost is, is a covenant day. It's, it's a day where God ushers out the old covenant and ushers in the new, where God calls his family to them together, fills them with his spirit, writes his covenant on their hearts, and sends them out on mission, okay? That's the church. That is who you are. That is who we are. We are God's very own family. A nation of priests, like hand-selected for him, for, by him for filling with his spirit, for filling with his power for his purposes. That is who we are. And maybe you're saying, what does all that mean for me? That's great. That's a bunch of heady stuff. Like, why does that even matter for me? Well, I'll tell you. You belong, firstly. You belong. God has appraised you. He has set a price on you and said that it's worth sending my own son to spill his blood so that I can have you for me, right? God has set a price on you beyond what you can imagine. God has gifted you beyond what you can believe. God has given you purpose beyond maybe what your life was aimed at before, beyond what your hopes and dreams and goals were. Your story has been swept up into a greater story, the, the rescue and renewal of all things, right? So, so what does that look like? How do we live as God's family? How do we lay hold of this divine destiny? Everybody say 3D. 3D. I want you guys to see this in 3D, all right? Three directions. That's, that's kind of what we're going to go with today. Up, in, and out. Okay, this is how we live out this identity as the church, right? And here's what I mean by that, and we're going to see this in Acts 2. We gather, we go, and we grow. That is what the church looks like. We gather, we go, and we grow. So firstly, we gather. Let me ask you guys, in Acts chapter 2 when it starts, where are they? Upper room, yeah. And who's there? Yeah, they are. (laughs) God's family it's 120 of them from different households. They've all come together to wait on God. This gathering is all about God, and they're waiting on the promise. And here's the deal. If we aren't careful, guys, we take the gathering for granted. But God has called us to come together. Like, doesn't it stand to reason that if sin separates and if the Spirit brings together that those of us who believe the gospel and are filled with the Spirit would want together gather together around God. Doesn't, doesn't that stand to reason? That we would want to gather together with people as frequently and often as possible and remember what God has done for us and worship him and exalt him? Look at Jesus' ministry, right? Do you see crowds? All the time. Why? Because people want to gather around what God is doing. They want to worship him. What, what happens in Acts chapter 2? After this spill, first they're gathered together, then it spills out in the streets, and we're going to see that people are drawn in and overwhelmed by what God is doing in the midst of his people. And the, the, the problem, though, is the church doesn't naturally do this. Not always. In fact, we see early on in the church, as, as the writer of Hebrews addresses, there's a problem that people who have been saved and redeemed are not gathering together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, he says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So, sin separated us from God. We can't even be in God's presence. 
Yet, now we have confidence to enter the presence of God. Right? You remember, you remember like, sin demands a life. Sin demands death. And so, there was this whole sacrifice system set up, a life for a life, so that we could just exist with God in the middle of us. You guys remember that? And, and so we're divided from God, and yet what we see happen in Jesus Christ is he comes down. And what's the next verse say? By the new and living way that he opened up for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. As Jesus is on the cross and his flesh is being torn, what happens to the curtain that always divided people from the presence of God? What happens to that? It's ripped in half. What does that mean? It means we have access, direct access to God. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through some big religious system to get access to God. You have it right here, right now, because you have a spirit dwelling in you. There's no more separation there. And that's, that's one of the things Christ accomplished on the cross. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and with our bodies washed with pure water. If you've been baptized, you've put on Christ. You are not the sum total of your actions anymore. All those sins that you can list that you've done, all the things people have done to you in your past, everything that you look back at with shame and guilt, that's not you. You have a new identity in Christ. You are washed clean. I just had this conversation with one of the young guys in our communities. He's going through, he's like, man, I'm feeling heavy, I'm feeling guilty right, for, for this sin. And I was like, bro, here's the deal. That sin is not who you are. You're not what you do. You are what Christ has done for you. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You have a new identity. And then what's he say in verse 24? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So don't do this in isolation. I know it's you and Jesus now. He's done this incredible work, but we need each other. We need one another to stir one another up. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Say, and all the more. Yeah. So should we be meeting together less and less or more and more? Amen. Yeah, yeah. And New City, we gather together on the first day of the week. We gather to worship God. We sing, we pray, we preach, we take communion to exalt Jesus. We want to see Christ more clearly. We want to see Jesus in the lyrics of the songs. We want to see Jesus in the text of Scripture and just worship Him. That's why it's preaching and not teaching. Because the end game of this is not head knowledge. That you guys would walk out with more information. The reason it's preaching is because it's meant to exalt Christ, to get everyone to lift your eyes and see our glorious Savior, to hear the gospel proclaimed. Some people ask, hey, is the Sunday gathering supposed to be for believers, or is it supposed to be like a net for non-Christians? Both. Both, because we all need to hear the gospel, whether it's the first time or the hundred and first time, and we need to have our hearts pointed to Jesus so that we would believe the gospel again. That is the worship that happens as we gather together. 
Worship is the primary purpose for Sunday gatherings. And yeah, discipleship happens, mission happens, all kinds of stuff happens. But the primary reason we're here today is to worship Jesus. Amen? It's not the only reason, but it's the primary one. And we need the Holy Spirit for that. How many of you know that we can't even see Jesus without the Holy Spirit at work in our lives? We can't. Have you ever been to a time of worship? Maybe you even experienced it today where it's like every word in the song burns in your heart and you feel the emotions rising up, the gratitude for your salvation, and you just can't help but just worship Jesus. Have you, have you guys experienced that? Or maybe you experienced a time where the preaching is so powerful, you feel like God is standing right there just next to you and speaking directly to your heart and to your life. And you just like want to come up out of your seat. Like you're just like so amazed at what God is doing. Guys, that's not skill. We don't come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom or cool techniques. We want to come with the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. That is what Sunday's about. Exalting Christ. We need the Spirit of God to move in our gatherings. We need the fire of God to fall down and ignite our hearts with passion for him again. We need the wind of God to blow through this place and sweep us up into his presence. That's what it's like when the Holy Spirit is moving in the gathering. It's a time of refreshing, but, but that's not all. What's the refreshing for? Why do we need corporate worship? Why do we need to be encouraged? Why do we need to see Jesus more clearly? Well, look at what happens next. Acts 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They're, they're drawn in. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear them each in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. So what we see next, they go. Why are they gathered? They're gathered to be empowered. Empowered for what? For, for the mission. The mission of God. And what happens? They immediately go out into the streets. They put the power of God on display with their friends and neighbors and strangers. And they begin to declare the gospel, the mighty works in everyone's language. It's, it's the fresh fire that we're talking about in this series. It's like they've had all this truth. They've had all this knowledge. They've been hanging out with Jesus for a long time. In fact, like, when the fire came down, uh, I forget who said it this way. I think it was Francis Chan. He said, when the fire came down, it fell and it didn't miss. It didn't fall in some place that wasn't ready for it. Right? So they've been filled with the word of God. They've heard the gospel proclaimed. They've seen Jesus die and resurrect and ascend. They've seen the gospel. They believe the gospel. And it's like their hearts are like fertile soil and the seed has been planted and they're just w waiting for the rain to fall. They're ready. It's, it's, it's something is going to happen. And 
And what happens, right? In, in, Acts, in fact, in, I love this. In Acts 1-6, they even say they think they're ready. In the chapter before this, they're like, hey, so uh, Jesus, is it time yet? Are we ready? Are we ready to, you know, are we going to restore the kingdom now? Ready for us to do that? Like, because we're ready. So, and what does Jesus say to him? Wait. Just, just go back to Jerusalem and wait. Until what? Until you are endued from power from on high. Wait for the promise of my spirit. See, because we can have all the head knowledge in the world. We can get the gospel. We can try to we can try to do this community thing on our own. I'm guilty of that. I've tried that a lot. What's the cool new strategy to really make people love each other? <laughs> I'm going to read a book on loving each other, and then I'm going to preach a sermon out of the book, and maybe that'll be the silver bullet, right? Maybe if we could make community sexy, right? We could just get everybody together, and everybody's like, you know, hey, man. There's a lot of cool people at this church. I want to be there. That's what we need. We need more cool people. That's, what, that's the silver bullet, right? We try to figure out all this stuff. What's the next thing that's going to create community? And it's, it's all for nothing if the Spirit's not in it. If the Holy Spirit is not giving life to it. And that's, that's exactly what we see happen here. He pours down fresh fire, and when that fire sets Fire, when the Holy Spirit sets fire to the truth that has been stored in their hearts, they can't contain it. They go spilling out onto the streets, right? It, it can't just be kept in a building. It can't be kept in a box or a house or a community. It spills out, and people begin to see the gospel in community, God's power at work in his people. And how do they respond? How do people respond to this? Yeah they, yeah, they start asking questions, and they start trying to make up their own answers, right? What's going on here? I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Like, I think maybe they're drunk, right? It says, some people are amazed, some are confused, and others mock. The demonstration of the Holy Spirit comes down, and it paves the way for the declaration of the gospel, Right? And Peter stands up, and he begins to, like, verses 14 through 40 is this beautiful sermon where he says, let me explain to you what's going on. They're not drunk. This is the promise that God, I mean, it's only, guys, it's only the third hour of the day. Nobody's drunk yet, right? It's, this is the power of God on display, unless you're in San Diego. Beer capital of the world. He declares the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. Boom! First megachurch. It's awesome. Here's the deal. The power of God on display in God's people will always raise questions because his family is a unique community. Always. And we'll run into all sorts of people. We'll run into people that are amazed and are ready. Green light. I'm ready. We'll run into people that are confused and need to know a little more. We'll run into people who are like, uh, yeah. No, not for me. They're mocking. They're making fun of. They've got their reasons. We're not called to worry about, though. We're worried about all that, and, and especially the haters. We're not called to worry about the skeptics. But our job is to believe the gospel and be filled with the Spirit, to put the power of God on display in community. And as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, to be ready to declare the gospel by giving them an answer. So in New City, we do this through gospel communities. Gospel communities are the missional engine of our church. 
We love the worship services, but the point of the gathering isn't the gathering itself. It's the going. The point of the gathering in the upper room in Acts 2 is, is what? It's waiting for the Spirit. Why? For power's sake? So we can just be like X-Men and just be powerful? No, it's, it's, it's for God's mission. Say this with me. The gathering is for the going. Yeah, and we need both. It's as natural as breathing, gathering, growing. Like, it's, it's like inhale and exhale. That's how natural it is. In and out. We gather, we go. The gathering is not the church, but the gathering is absolutely necess- necessary in order for us to be the church. What is the church? It's the family of God on mission. That's what it is, the called out ones, the ecclesia. And what does it look like here at New City? We take a lot of our cues actually from this last part of Acts 2. And disclaimer, like as we read Acts 2, 42 through 47, I, I don't read this as if it's prescriptive, right? This isn't prescriptive. This isn't God saying every church, every place needs to look exactly like this. It's not what we're saying. But it's descriptive of some awesome stuff that's happening as God's Spirit moves. And there's some elements here that we could learn from. So this is our hope for our gospel communities. All right. And Acts 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Keyword, devoted themselves. How's my heart doing in that? Am I devoted to this, to, to the gospel and community? And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. See that? Not separate, together. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. <coughs> the church is the family of gospel communities on mission. That is who we are at New City Church. And, and we see this like, naturally playing out, not, not in a way where we try to add a bunch of new stuff to our lives, but where we actually just take the rhythms we already have in our life and we allow the gospel to inform them. We are a community who puts the gospel on display in everyday rhythms of life. We gather around the gospel together as frequently as possible. We rehearse the story of God. We, we listen to one another's stories in light of the, the story of God. We eat together as a constant reminder of how God has provided for us and supplied our every need, and we worship him. We take communion on Sundays and break bread together in our homes. We, we celebrate, right, the good news often. We even take cool, like, and, and sometimes uncool cultural celebrations, and we try to redeem them as opportunities to show the world that we love to party because of what God has done and celebrate our glorious Savior. We bless one another. When the needs in community come up, we have generous hearts that want to give. That we're willing to sell our stuff to take care of one another because we're family. And we can't stand to see our family go through pain and hurt without us being there to be family with them. 
We rest and we create and we live this rhythmically in our lives. We gather together day by day, both in the temple, and we, we would say that that's like our Sunday gatherings, and house to house, and that's like our gospel communities. And here's the deal. We must have the Holy Spirit. We can try to pull this off on our own as if it's a magical formula. If we just have enough teaching, if we just have enough devotion or worship or fellowship, mission, prayer, if we just have enough of this, it's some magical formula. But no, we have to have the Spirit. What do we know from the story? It wasn't their formulas. It wasn't their knowledge. It wasn't their elbow grease that propelled the church. God used all that. But it was the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his church. In fact, Jeff Vanderstelt says it shouldn't be called the Acts of the Apostles. It should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. God drew them together to wait on him. Like God does this sovereignly. He draws them together to create space in their lives to wait on him. And then he filled them full of his power and his presence for his purposes. He sent them out and they simply followed Like Kenny said last week, what's next, Holy Spirit? What's the next step you want me to take? I'm ready to follow you. You're the Lord of my life. You're my king. My life is for you now. It was the sovereign move of God, and it's the same for us. The whole reason we're starting out the year with this series, the elders got together, we prayed. The leaders of the church, we got together and we said, Holy Spirit, what's next? And we felt like God was just convicting us and moving on our hearts in the same way this year, drawing us to to open our lives together and create space for his spirit to empower us for his mission. We've got some cool techniques. We've got some cool words and handles and, and teachings. But at the end of the day, it's all null and void if the spirit of God isn't moving on his church. Amen? Yeah. So... My prayer for this is that we would see the gathering as more important than ever, that we would come together and worship God and exalt him, that we'd invite our friends in, believers, unbelievers, to fill this place up and exalt Jesus and have our hearts just stoked toward faith, have the fire of the Holy Spirit just catch in our hearts and lives. And that after we gather, that we would go, that we'd get out there and put the gospel on display in community as the Spirit empowers And the last point, I don't have time to go into it. I'll leave this for Tom next week as he talks about making disciples. But we do this as disciples. We don't just just gather and we don't just go, but we also have to grow. God wants to grow us, and we do that through DNA groups, right? Helping one another discover how the gospel applies to our lives, nurturing the truth of the gospel in one another's hearts, and calling each other to act out on that truth. We do that in DNAs, and I'm going to leave that for Tom. In the meantime, you know, um, if you're not in a DNA, I want to encourage you to ask your gospel community leader about that. Start a DNA. Start getting together with brothers, or if you're, if you're a lady, with the sisters, and, and, and like really allow the gospel to inform and transform your life. And you say, well, I don't have a gospel community leader to ask about a DNA group. Well, cool. So I want to invite you to join in with a gospel community. You can fill out one of these cool connect cards and we'll get in touch with you if it's your first time here about what it means to live life on mission. We want everyone to experience that. We want everyone to experience gospel community on mission. Or maybe you even attend Sunday gatherings and I hope you'll feel a renewed call to the family of gospel communities here 
on Sunday to worship. But guys, all of this, this life as a family that we call the church is empty and void without the power of the Spirit. It leads to burnout. It leads to frustration. It leads to exhaustion. It leads to us compartmentalizing and avoiding. If we aren't careful, we end up, in closing, we end up looking like Adam and Eve and choosing our own way. We end up looking like the people of Babylon and just building something to ourselves or even justifying ourselves by our own works. Or we end up looking like the people at Sinai, worshiping something other than God, even in the middle of his presence and in the middle of his people. But there's good news today. There's good news. Jesus took care of that all on the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life in his flesh for you. His righteousness Every day, every perfect decision he ever made, every sinful decision that he didn't choose, right, that was lived in his flesh for you. And on the cross, as his body was, was torn and that curtain in the, in, in the temple was torn, you get access to the very presence of God. In spite of your sin and your failures this week, you have access to come and feel the Holy Spirit's love for you, to let him fill your life. And his blood was poured out and shed so you could have forgiveness for every sin. And we remember that through communion. As we, as we come up here, as, as we do at the end of every service, and we take communion together, we get the opportunity to remind each other of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But I don't want it to just stop there today, guys. My prayer for us today is that like never before, we would pray that the Holy Spirit would ignite us with power and passion for his mission. That we would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Are, are you guys hungry for that? Yeah. Ooh, that was good. I'm going to ask it one more time. Are you guys hungry for that? All right, cool. Well, let's, let's do that. And I'm repenting today, trying to do this on our own. Oftentimes I think that just if we get the information out there, it'll change our lives. But the Holy Spirit doesn't apply the truth of God's word to our heart. It's just information. But as the Holy Spirit moves, it becomes transformation. And I want to encourage you to come up and repent, allow the Holy Spirit to convict your hearts and draw near to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we need you. This is your church. We're your family. But we, we aren't family without you at the middle of it. We can't do it on our, no, on our own. We need your Spirit to empower us, God. We've tried to do community on our own, and we failed. We've tried to love other people on our own, and we've fallen short. Thank you for your gospel that forgives us of every sin and cleanses us and gives us the righteousness of God. Help that not to become ever just a cheap grace thing for us that says, hey, we're forgiven for everything. We don't need to do anything. But help that to be motivating to our hearts to love you and serve you and obey you. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just come in New City and baptize us afresh that this Sunday and next Sunday and in our missional community gatherings and in our DNA groups and even in our own devotion times as we read CBR, or as we pray, whatever we're doing during the week, God, that we would feel your presence. Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill us to the brim, that you would spill out of our lives onto the lives of those around us, God, that we would catch on fire for you. We need you, Jesus. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.
You guys can come on up as we turn on some music in the back and take communion. Join with your gospel communities or, or with your DNA groups or husbands and wives and, and just take some time to ask the Holy Spirit what's next. What are you doing in my life? How can I respond to your word?